Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Biden gives $39 billion in student debt. Not gives, forgives. But you you just heard the Supreme Court saying you can't do that. Yet here we are. $39 billion in relief for 804,000 borrowers. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you guys. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. They're saying that it's been fixes to student loan systems income-driven repayment plan. Right, so the idea here is that under the repayment plans, debt canceled by the government after they've made payments for 20 years or 25 years, uh, depending on when they borrowed and their loan and plan type. So the borrowers can get that canceled under the existing plan. So first, uh, let's, let's be clear. An expertise on student loans I, I don't have. The Supreme Court struck down the student loan forgiveness plan, which would have uh, delivered, quote unquote, relief to 37 million people. This is 804,000 borrowers who have already been making their payments. And now the government's saying it's all right. We got the rest. Is that a standard? Does, Does that happen? And by the way, may I ask how in the world that happens, how that could possibly be okay? You took a loan, you pay back the loan. I don't pay back 20 years of my mortgage and the mortgage mortgage company says, you know what, the last 10, we got you. I, I, don't, I don't think they do that. The Biden administration counted payments for borrowers who'd paused their payments in, uh, and those who had made partial or late payments. That was to try and help bring people over. So even though they weren't paying, I guess he counted them as paying It's hard to believe that this is our system of government. It's hard to believe that this is the way our country works. It's hard to believe that we have a president when told no by the Supreme Court goes, eh. And this is really important to note because this isn't a lawless president. This is a learn. This is what they call. I was going to say this is a learn from president. This is what they call a teachable moment. When Republicans get the presidency, do whatever you want. Supreme Court says whatever. Just keep going. Some district judge somewhere says no. Laugh out loud and do it anyway. Tell that district judge to go raise an army. The only court in the Constitution is the Supreme Court. Every other court exists because of the create of its creation by Congress. And if I was in charge, I'd be getting rid of courts like it's my job. Not all of these courts are necessary, people. But when you see the president just moving along and doing the thing, and you know it's not him, it's the party. Do the thing and do the thing and do the thing. It's a teachable moment. Just keep doing. Just keep, force them to make you stop. This is the society that the left wants. My advice is win elections and give them what they want. But I don't know how Republicans are going to do it if they won't first deal with the FBI. That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. Kevin 
McCarthy may be crowing about getting the NDAA uh, through the House. He might be crowing about, look, we're keeping our promises to America. But how much, you know, cheerleading or cheering can he do when he's got the FBI director lying to him, lying to Republicans, not answering the questions of Americans regarding whether it's January 6th, it's regarding uh, Catholics, the myriad of things. How about just gathering people's phone records without warrants because they say to a phone company, uh, we want this, and the phone company's like, here you go, FBI. Exactly how do you rein in the FBI? And when you're Speaker McCarthy This is what we expect Republicans to do. We expect them to engage in a fight that they've never really had to engage before. And certainly, they never had uh, the wherewithal to do. And now, now it's standard that in order for the FBI brass to learn that you can't treat Americans like this, and you can't can't have a two-tier justice system, like, for example, with that Form FD-1023, You did an investigation. You did an interview. You've got a whistleblower, somebody you spent a lot of money with, and you're talking about potential bribes to the then vice president and Hunter Biden, then vice president Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and you don't think there's an investigation that needs to happen? What is this? What is this madness? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The question before us is, what will Speaker McCarthy do? Can Republicans actually punish the FBI, and are they willing to do so? Let me bring in the guy. It's Ed Morrissey. He is the capo de tutti capo over at hotair.com. He is also the author of the book Going Red, a fantastic look uh, at some previous elections and what it takes to win future elections. I have my signed copy, of course, in my very hands. Uh, I don't know how, uh, Ed, anybody looks at the testimony given from the House Oversight Committee by Christopher Ray and thinks that this is a forthcoming government that's honest with the people. What was your take of Ray's uh, testimony in front of the House Oversight Committee? No, I think my take is exactly your take. Uh, this guy doesn't present any answers. And to, to, to a point that is absolutely ridiculous. Now, one of the issues that came up was the Richmond, Virginia offices, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, memo targeting rad trad Catholics as if the FBI could even possibly identify that uh, as some sort of crypto um, crypto radical violent group that was about to unleash, you know, hate violence across America over a, uh, over their opposition to abortion, somehow overlooking the fact that the entire Catholic Church is opposed to abortion. This was prompted by the Southern Poverty Law Center and their political manipulations. The FBI office in Richmond, Virginia, fell for this crap. Uh, it got exposed in February. Now, I, I bring this up for a purpose. It got exposed in February. This was a memo that was developed at the Richmond, Virginia office. It was signed off by five members of leadership there, including their um, their general counsel of that office. And once it got exposed by Uncover DC, the FBI hit retreat. Oh, no, 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 no. This was a work product. That's really bad. Never mind. We're not going to do this. And at the time, they said, Congress said, we need you to explain how this happened. And Christopher Ray said, well, you know, we need to take a look into this. Now, the FBI is supposedly the premier investigative agency in the world, Tony. The premier investigative agency in the world. It is investigating its own office in Richmond, Virginia. And five months later, 
Christopher Ray doesn't have any answers. Right. <laughs> now, hey, come on, man. First of all, two things here. First, when you say rad trad, that is radical, traditional Catholics, yeah. correct? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. Just too much lingo. On the same page. And then talk about not being able to do an investigation. There it is. Secret <laughs> Service couldn't crack the case of the White House cocaine. There is no, you know, there are a few things, uh, Ed, that bring Americans together, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of race, religion, anything else. You could gather 100 Americans from every corner of society. And if you tell them, yeah, there was cocaine found in the White House, but the Secret Service doesn't know who brought it in, they'll all say to you, nah. <laughs> They all know that the fix is in on this one, or certainly that's the politics of it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, they, uh, I mean, it's even got better because it said the, they they sent the bag over to the FBI laboratory, and the FBI laboratory said that there were no fingerprints or DNA on the bag, and that's, I mean, come on, man, somebody wiped that bag with a cloth to to quote Hillary Clinton. That's that's the only way that that happens. Somebody takes a bag out of their pocket and drops it someplace in the White House. It's going to have fingerprints on it. It's going to have a DNA transfer on it. The idea that this thing was pristine when it got to the laboratory. I mean, and I'm, I'll credit the FBI with with, you know, actually uh, telling the truth about this. Somebody cleaned it up before it got over to the FBI laboratory. It's the only explanation for this. And the idea that in the West Wing, where presumably there's surveillance video all over the place because, you know, they're protecting the president and his staff. Yeah. You know, that is the operational headquarters of the executive branch. So my guess is that the Secret Service has a camera or two around there. The idea that they couldn't identify who dropped a bag of cocaine is ridiculous. And, Tony, I'll ask you this. If that bag had anthrax in it, do you think that they would have had uh, somebody in uh, handcuffs by now? I would only assume yeah. uh, that they would. And this is where this this argument becomes very, very odd. We're talking about safety and security here. We're certainly talking about personal responsibility here. And the White House has no interest in it. And it seems that leftist media has no interest in it. Talking to Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. This brings us back to the FBI. They won't answer a, a question about the the uh, what they did in terms of investigating Catholics in America. They won't answer a, a question uh, about January 6th and what level of of people were maybe in crowds in places. I'm not making the argument that there aren't some people guilty for engaging in a riot. I am saying, where was the FBI? Why won't they answer questions? There's a, a multiplicity of things. How about the idea of warrantless searches and you have phone companies just gladly giving over records to the FBI of phone calls and other things without a warrant, even Democrats asking about warrantless searches, whether it was Representative yeah. Lofgren of California or the leader of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal out of Washington State. This was Kevin McCarthy on Fox News speaking to Martha McCallum. We heard from Christopher Ray yesterday um, and, and his overall tone, I would say, is, look, we, were, we do an amazing job here at the FBI. And here was his response when he was asked about whether or not the Bidens do get any special treatment in these situations. Watch. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. 
Do you believe that? Do you agree with what Christopher Ray said? Do you think that, that he's credible with that answer, Speaker? He, he's not credible with the answer. And I think his whole testimony shows the FBI is actually broken under his leadership. And I'm not talking about the rank and file agents who are doing their job every day. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the work you're doing. But the bureaucracy is broken. Because remember what Ray said even in his testimony here. He wouldn't answer questions. He didn't tell us why the FBI went after Catholics. He wouldn't apologize when the FBI went after parents. He wouldn't tell us or apologize for using companies to spy and their data to spy on average Americans. But what's even more importantly, when he knew he had a 1023, a, a person that he actually still pays to this day, an informant that provided him information about the Biden Inc. family, he ignored it. And he didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a litany of things. Here's the question. And the only one that matters, Ed Morrissey, when will the Republican Party hold the FBI responsible? When will they, in, in the words of many, punish the FBI? And how in the world does that happen? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is tricky because you can impeach a, an FBI director. But then the Senate has to remove an FBI director, and I don't know that they're there yet. I, I will say this, though. There was a development this morning where it came out that uh, the FBI had seized the Google Mail of a couple of uh, Devin Nunez's uh, aides, uh, and I can't remember the names of the people who were involved, that were looking into Operation Crossfire Hurricane in 2017. And they that just came out, I think, this morning or late last night. And that is an egregious intrusion on congressional um, authority. Maybe... If if that gets sustained and it's shown that uh, th and this may have been before Ray was even FBI director, it could have been under James Comey. In fact, I think it may have been under James Comey um, that this is uh, that this is going to be something that might move the needle a little bit more in the Senate. But I th actually think that an impeachment vote at this point would basically close it out. Right. So you impeach him, you impeach him by three votes, four votes in the House. All of a sudden, this becomes, well, this is old news. The media stops paying attention to it. I think it's a much better strategy to keep bringing FBI officials to Capitol Hill to have televised hearings and keep asking them these questions, especially the one now about the um, about the House Intel staffers that were um, surveilled by right. the FBI. But this isn't the first surveillance uh, that that we we've seen, wasn't it? Going right. back to J when James Rosen was at Fox, wasn't he being surveilled? That's uh, a lot of the Obama administration. Yeah, I mean, he was a reporter, right? And right. they were surveilling him because supposedly he was leaking information. This is different. The FBI is surveilling the Article One branch, <laughs> the officials in the Article One branch, uh, for doing their Article One duty of oversight of the FBI. I mean, that is really a a, uh, a constitutional insult, and I don't think that the um, I don't think that Congress can stand by and allow that to stand. Well, well the, this this one certainly allows itself to be insulted very very often. I have never seen, uh, especially when it comes to Congress, a, 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 a part of a branch so willing willing to abdicate its responsibility uh, to the executive branch, talking to Ed Morrissey of hotair.com. The question here is about defunding. Now, Christopher Ray, I don't care that he's an appointee of Donald Trump. That means nothing. Donald Trump appointed a lot of bad people who couldn't do the job. Right. Those are just the facts as presented. I don't care that he's a Trump appointee. It means nothing. I'm also not saying that, that Ray hasn't done work to try and clean up 
what it is James Comey and company had done there in making it a completely political branch. And you can even go before him. But Ray is not answering the questions. When we talk about punishment, does the Republican Party, do the Republicans in the House have what it takes to defund the FBI, as people like Congressman Thomas Massey made note of repeatedly in his commentaries to Christopher Wray. Well, I mean, not in this session of Congress. And again, the problem is that Democrats control the Senate. Democrats control the White House. They can pass a bill that defunds the FBI, but the Senate is going to put the funding back in. And either you shut down the entire government... Or you're going to have to figure out some sort of way to compromise on this. But I mean, I think that this becomes a bit a better issue in terms of voters in 2024. And that's the reason why you keep having these hearings. You keep bringing people up there. You keep having these C-SPAN clips that go out and, and, and get people's notice on this. You know, especially in terms of the censorship regime. He wouldn't answer questions about the censorship regime either. And that got exposed six months ago. And he still doesn't have answers on that, even though the FBI participated in that. Uh, there's all sorts of emails that show that FB, the FBI participated in that. And Chris Ray yesterday was or two days ago was saying, oh, well, you know, that's not what we do here. Of course, it's what you do here. We've got documentary evidence to prove that's what you what you do here. Um, so I think that that's I think it works better as an argument in 2024 for a way to just clear the decks and get people in there that are going to actually reform this and actually drain the swamp. As has been posited, you know, since 2015, actually draining means actually firing people by the tens, by the hundreds, in many cases, by the thousands. If yes. I'm, yes, that's how it's done. Before I let you go, it was a story over at Newsmax that kind of took me by surprise because this is the kind of talk that you expect out of the Trump acolytes on social media, not from news. And this was it. There's a DeSantis memo reassuring donors and laying out for them what the campaign is. And the campaign seems to be very aggressive about New Hampshire. It's necessary for Ron DeSantis to reassure donors. What do you know about this? Well, I think it's a, it's a response to a lot of this media narrative going around that the DeSantis, the DeSantis campaign is collapsing, which is nonsense. DeSantis raised $20 million in six weeks in the second quarter, never backed down, raised um, $67 million organically in Q2, and $83 million got tra- an additional $83 million got transferred into never backed down from DeSantis's 2000, two, uh, 2022 gu- gubernatorial campaign. These guys have got a lot of money. They've had a lot of they had a lot of money before that. They're building an organization. It's not just New Hampshire. It's also Iowa. In fact, I would say probably more Iowa than New Hampshire uh, and South Carolina. And the the point of that is to build a ground organization that can turn out the vote. Now, you still have to be a good candidate. I mean, this is stuff, stuff that I wrote about in Going Red. It depends on how you build this thing and, and, you know, what the communication levels are, how you're contextualizing agendas for voters in local communities. All of that matters. And I don't know how the DeSantis campaign is doing that. But I do know that at least they're building the, the, a, a, a vote. Uh, turnout machine that that doesn't that doesn't exist for any other candidates, especially Donald Trump. And so the idea that we're 40 days away from the from the first debate that Donald Trump isn't even going to participate in. And somehow a campaign is in collapse. That's just (laughs) that's just gotten 20 million dollars in six weeks is ridiculous. And I think it struck me as odd. I just wanted to hear it. His name is Ed Morrissey, the book going red by Ed Morrissey. You can find it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books 
are sold, you just won't find a really cool uh, signed copy like like I've got right there. Very fancy. I'm a very fancy man right there. Ed, always appreciate it. There is so much more coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. So it's one thing to hear the Biden administration talk about how this economy is growing from the middle out and the bottom up, and it's really helping out the middle class. And they take a look at the inflation numbers and they cheer the inflation numbers. And you got to understand the politics of it. Of course, they're going to cheer, but they cheer everything, even when things are bad. This inflation report, the CPI, uh, is a little bit better, but it's still not great. And as you and I are living the reality of this economy, we understand that it's still downright awful because everything costs more. So who's right? What the Biden White House is saying, what the inflation reports are telling us, or those of us who are actually living it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Would love it if you became a supporter over there. What we're growing over there, we use the whole locals platform. It's been kind of fascinating, and it's starting to pick up. So check it out, TonyKatz.com, and be a part of what we're doing. You can be a supporter. Would greatly appreciate it. Akash Chugali joins me right now. He is the vice president of government affairs over at Americans for Prosperity. I don't always do interviews with AFP guys, but when you've got a guy writing Bidenomics is a disaster, folks, well, then we're going to have a conversation, Akash. Uh, It's good to have you here. Uh, You saw that report, man. You saw what it is that came out uh, of that CPI super price index. You saw that we're at a uh, a 3% inflation, still not at the target rate. It is a better report in many regards, not all, than we have seen in a while. Is this proof that Bidenomics is working? (laughs) Uh, I would say maybe if we were counting on two years ago or a year ago, right? Um, I think there's, there's a couple things that we have to remember. One the rate at which inflation is reflected in this report is something that they were talking about happening well over a year ago. If you remember, they were talking about inflation being transitory and all of that. They were talking a few weeks or months. We're now well over a year uh, since those calls first started coming. Now, this is certainly a more encouraging report. One of the really good signs in this report, Tony, um, is that for the first time since the president took office, real wages are actually growing. And that means wages adjusted for inflation Inflation has been so bad throughout his presidency uh, that even if wages were were going up and wages have been going up, they're being drowned out by the rate of inflation, by things getting more expensive. So that Americans uh, are actually more than 5% poorer since the president took office because of that decline in real incomes. And I think the last point that I think it's important for folks to remember um, is just because the rate of inflation is going down, that doesn't mean prices are actually going down. This is sort of Washington wordsmithing uh, that simply is not going to be reflected in reality, right? The average American family is paying more than $10,500 more today to afford the same quality of life as they had before President Biden took office. That extra money that they're spending, they're not getting that money back just because the rate of inflation is slowing. And so while this is certainly encouraging, 
things are not better than they were prior to him taking office. And 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 that's the question: Why is everything so damn expensive? And everything is so damn expensive. Uh, airline travel is is incredible. Uh, the food prices are still high. We know, for example, certain things like milk. We have farmers pouring out milk. The cows have to be milked. There isn't the market for all of it. We've seen milk prices go down, but we saw egg prices go out of control, and they're still higher uh, than they they were. So on the food part, especially. We're still at 5.7% year over year in inflation. Why hasn't food been able to normalize as uh, the White House continues to crow about how well Bidenomics is working? This is a perfect example of, I think, the two worst elements of the Biden agenda. One is the reckless spending and two is the regulation. Both impact food. So the administration spent an additional $6 trillion, with a T, $6 trillion above baseline. What do we have to show for it? are higher prices, right? They did nothing uh, to improve supply chains. They did nothing to improve the labor force. And so they juiced the economy with all this additional demand, did nothing to increase supply. On the flip side, they actually made it more difficult, more expensive to produce things like food. And I think the the clearest example of this are their attacks on the energy industry. Obviously, you know, food production is super energy intensive. um, And now you're talking about an administration that from day one on the campaign trail, wage war against those abundant, reliable, affordable sources of energy that we use to fuel cars, heat homes, cook food, produce food, run businesses, um, you know, from halting new oil and gas leases, increasing barriers to energy permitting, blocking natural gas pipelines. And so that's just a a sort of a quick and dirty um, of why food, I think more so than other things is more expensive. And those price increases have sustained itself. It's reduced demand and made it more expensive, more difficult to produce. Um, and I think nobody's being hit harder than that, you know, by that uh, than the folks that produce our food. Talking to Akash Chugali, he is the vice president of government affairs for Americans for Prosperity. Uh, over on Rumble, I got asked a question uh, by someone affectionately, uh, affectionately known as Grandma Pinky, uh, a longtime fan uh, of the show. And I appreciate it. And you take a look at the Biden administration announcement just today that even though the Supreme Court said no, to student loan debt payoffs that the the Biden administration simply cannot just eliminate student debt that you've got a number like $39 billion that's going to be written off by this government. Does that have an effect on inflation? Can that actually be seen as spending and therefore it's going to tick inflation back up? Yeah, no question about it. I think this is one of the sort of quieter points that folks aren't considering. This is obviously bad policy to forgive student loans. Uh, It was unconstitutional in their original idea, as the Supreme Court made clear. But it's also inflationary. That original student loan forgiveness idea that was struck down by the court, that was going to be a $400 billion injection into the economy that wasn't supposed to be there uh, as people were paying back their loans. Now, this one is considerably smaller. So in theory, the inflation impact is going to be much smaller. But same same concept, right? That's money that folks should be paying back in loans that they took out. Instead, you're going to basically hand it to them for, for extra spending cash. Uh, that obviously is going to have an impact on inflation, in addition to, as mentioned, being unfair, being bad policy for higher education, and being you know, constitutionally questionable. So we now get to the point of what comes next, because we see uh, today – I mean, it's an interesting day to, to have you on the show because we saw Citigroup and J.P. Morgan Chase 
Talk about hitting it out of the water. Citigroup beat expectations not only on dividend, but total revenues. J.B. Morgan Chase is crowing about how good things are. I guess things are good when you're the big banks and you're given the opportunity to gobble up all the little banks. And Janet Yellen is telling the little banks, if you have an issue, you're you know what out of luck. But the big banks are going to get bailed out. You see that. And then you see the everyday in in a uh, supermarket. You see the everyday in in a retail uh, location. The two things don't jive, man. The two things don't come together. What is it that Wall Street is ignoring about Midwest Main Street? And what is it that Midwest Main Street should be ignoring about Wall Street signals? Those those Wall Street signals are important, right, for sort of future growth and, and investment, things like that. Um, that's all well and good. It's just making no difference today for the average American on Main Street. As I mentioned, the average American family is spending $10,500 more today to afford the same quality of life as they had before the president took office. That is not something you're going to see reflected in J.P. Morgan's earnings sheets. Um, and so I think that's kind of the major disconnect is that people that are hurt most by inflation are middle class, working class, seniors on fixed incomes. Uh, who simply can't keep up with the price increases. Now, fortunately, those price increases are slowing, but they're baked in. What has already happened over the last year plus, those price increases are baked in. You're not getting that money back. Uh, and so we've got a long way to go as far as wage gains and economic growth to make the American family feel whole again. I think that's why you're seeing, uh, you know, it re- reflected in poll numbers, three quarters of the country feel like the country's going in the wrong direction and the let's economy take is a, number one life. Let's take a look at that. This is your article from AmericansForProsperity.org uh, right here. You write that every claim of success the White House makes amounts to an attempt to mislead and save face, and the American people know it. Evidenced by the fact that 75% think the country is headed in the wrong direction. The economy is their top priority and they know Biden is failing. Is this a conversation of even if things were to get better? Because I don't believe in playing uh, the political game. I want to understand what's actually happening. But I believe that you are correct there. If you were to ask the vast majority of Americans, things are bad. And it's because, as I, I indicated and you were just discussing, everything actually is more expensive. This isn't the theoretical. This is the actual of our lives. Now we get into the political question of 75 percent of Americans think that America is on the wrong track, that things are more expensive, that the economy is bad. What would be necessary on a political level for Biden to turn this around? Because it seems to me, outsider looking in, all right, maybe not so much an outsider. I spend more time on this than most, uh, that this is an objective from the Biden administration to try and get the narrative out there that it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, and you shouldn't believe your lying eyes. What exactly turns this around in the eyes of Americans? Yeah, I think so. There's a couple things. I think one thing you can look at is gas prices, right? Gas prices are up more than 50% since the president took office. That's one that I think the American people feel very directly, right? You're driving to work, driving your kids to to school or camp or whatever. Um, You're filling gas. Gas prices do tend to go up in the summer. You also see it posted on the side of the road. So I think that's a really kind of clear indicator uh, but I think the other one is just this this whole idea of real wage increases that we're finally seeing for the first time since he took office. Since the president took office up until last month, they were pro they were getting actively poorer every month he was in office because their wage gains weren't keeping up with inflation. If we can reverse that tide of 
people actually start to feel better because they are doing better. That's a real con for the president, his, his administration officials sort of barnstorming around the country saying, don't believe your lying eyes. Uh, the American people just don't do that because they look at their pocketbooks and their checkbooks at the end of every week uh, and they see that things have gotten way worse since he took office. And their, their checkbooks are, are not lying to them. They may lie to their checkbook, but their checkbook is not uh, uh, lying to them. Akash Chugli from Americans for Prosperity. If you're advising people on what to look for that, hey, maybe there is a turnaround. I mean, we should be aware of it. What to you is the biggest indicator? What says to you, oh, well, that's a good bit of news. Yeah, I, I, and I keep going back to energy prices. This administration has been an absolute nightmare on energy policy, um, you know, from canceling the Keystone Pipeline, halting new oil and gas leases. And then it's not even like they're boosting green energy, right? They spent a trillion dollars on Inflation Reduction Act green energy subsidies, and yet they're still going around begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to increase their oil and gas production. They're depleting our strategic reserve. And so we're not seeing energy prices come down. And energy is an input in everything we do, every family that needs to heat their home, cook their food, drive their car, every business that needs to run, every manufacturing facility, every agricultural operation, all of it needs energy. We're a super energy intensive economy. So long as energy prices stay elevated, we're going to be dealing with an economy that simply is not as good as it could be. One of the things I know, Tony, that, that you're going to be doing with us throughout the summer uh, is joining our Prosperity as Possible tour that we're going to take all across the country Energy is going to be a major focus of that. What does good energy policy look like? How can we get there as far as agency regulations, what Congress can do, what states can do? I think that's a really obvious sort of step one. Let's get this issue right. Let's show the American people what good looks like. Draw that contrast with the White House so they know what's possible. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm joining uh, the, the tour. It's going to be in Pennsylvania. It's going to be in West Virginia, Montana. It's going to Arizona. Uh, I'm, I'm going everywhere. I'm, go, I'm going nationwide, baby. There you go. We'd love to have you. Akash Chugli uh, from Americans for Prosperity. I appreciate you taking the time. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. There's a story in the New York Post about this outraged dad. And I'm like, this is this is all of us. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I didn't. I, I forgot in, in my conversation earlier about this story. It's about this dad who took his kid to the doctor. His nine-year-old. He takes his nine-year-old to the pediatrician. And I was talking about how doctors are around the globe are like, you know, this whole idea that you deal with gender dysphoria via surgeries and, and gender-affirming care, this is not supported by science at all. And it's not supported by science. Just in the same way that people will tell you, oh, yeah, puberty blockers, totally reversible. No, they're not. That's a lie. Not totally reversible. Does lasting damage, lifelong damage to children into adulthood. Not reversible stuff anybody says otherwise i mean if they're a doctor me i would say that's straight up malpractice that's loss of license time but if you listen to somebody on tiktok about that stuff that's why it's so important to be monitoring what it is that's going on with your kids and with kids in general because they'll listen to somebody on tiktok oh they've got a million followers they must be telling the truth if you think that puberty blockers have no uh, side effects and are reversible, you're not telling the truth. You're doing in a tremendous amount of damage. Go back to this dad. This dad, I, I would share it with you, but he's cursing every seven seconds, and, and he ain't wrong. 
takes his kid to the doctor, takes his kid to, to the pediatrician, and at the end of the appointment, the doctor starts questioning the nine-year-old about his gender identity. He's like, my nine-year-old son went in, and the first thing this woman asked him, I guess it's a female doctor, asked him if he identified as a boy, a girl, gender fluid, or non-binary. My son, he says, he's never heard any of that S before. The father then is calling out the doctor. The boys have been going to this doctor, you know, since uh, the very, very beginning. Why are you even asking the question? And the father's like, you've been dealing with him your whole life. He's clearly a a boy's boy. That's the line he uses. And then he goes, so why are you trying to plant a blanking seed in his head? The doctors are the problem now. Not on the side of the parents, on the side of the ideology that has no basis in science. Gender dysphoria is real. But pushing the idea of gender dysphoria on a kid is abuse. And if that's now the doctor's standard of care, it's an abusive standard of care. And you're going to see less kids going to the doctor because they don't want, parents don't want their kid exposed to the crazy. And this is where med schools and hospital groups and doctor's groups have to get their head out of their you-know-what and get it together. Your job is to care for the patient. Your job is not to push your ideology on the patient. Cut it out. This father is right. Totally right. And by the way, if you're opposed to this stuff and someone goes, oh, you're a transphobe, why are you paying any attention to them? They're awful people. They're people trying to push an ideology. They're not serious. They don't have any say. Their commentary doesn't have any weight. Ignore them. Ignore their ignorance. Protect your kids. That's where it's at. And demand that doctors protect kids. And demand that doctors more and more speak out about this madness regarding quote-unquote gender-affirming care. Planting the seed is absolutely the right statement here. I'll let you find uh, this, this dad. He's out of his head. He ain't wrong. He is not wrong. Find everything I do at TonyCats.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.